very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. And we are, as a people, inherently and historically opposed to secret societies, to secret oaths, and to secret proceedings. questions you always had, the answers you were never given, the place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. to everyone around the world, and a warm welcome to another edition of Veritas at VeritasRadio.com. I'm your host, Mal Fambergas, and I sincerely thank you for joining me once again. And if this is your first time, or the truth journey brought you here, welcome home. And to listen to tonight's full interview, you know what to do by now. After so many years, just go to VeritasRadio.com and subscribe. You will receive your login immediately. And don't forget to check Sanitas Radio. It's already on Season 2. A great transformation taking place there, not only for our listeners, but for me in particular. And also, we're just exploring new areas. Formidable guests. You have to just take a look at it. And if you really want to make a difference, invest in yourself. Go to SanitasRadio.com to learn more. Was Atlantis real? We'll probably never be able to prove such a rich and powerful land that suddenly went belly up in the Atlantic Ocean never existed. The story of Atlantis is usually referred to as a parable, and as such is not intended to be taken literally. But there is nothing in the story that proves it's made up. Even serious geologists can't entirely debunk it. In 2005, according to About.com's Geology Guide, there was a conference to discuss possible locations for Atlantis. The story of Atlantis comes to us from Timaeus, a Socratic dialogue written in about 360 BC by Plato. Are Atlantis and Lemuria mythology, or were they real? To explore this, tonight's special guest is Shirley Andrews, right now on Veritas. Shirley Andrews has had a lifelong interest in prehistory and has conducted research both in the U.S. and at the British Museum Library in London. She has traveled from the islands of the Azores to ancient monasteries high in the Himalayas to uncover the truth. Shirley has written two well-received books, Atlantis Insights from a Lost Civilization and Lemuria and Atlantis, Studying the Past to Survive the Future, both of which have been published in several languages, she combines her passionate interest in Atlantis, her world travels, and the knowledge of many scholars into her research, writing, and public speaking. And for more information, visit her website at www.atlantisinsights.net, which is also linked at ours. And directly from Northeastern Massachusetts, I would like to welcome Shirley Andrews. Hello, Shirley, and welcome to Veritas. Well, hi. I'm excited to be here. Oh, it's my pleasure, and for a long time I've been trying to to discuss more of Atlantis. We've discussed that in the past, but 
Having received both of your books in the past couple of days, I really, really enjoyed how you have connected some dots. And as I said during the intro, we think of Atlantis, we think of Plato, we think of maybe it being a parable. But you think that this could be real, not only Atlantis, but Lemuria. I'm always interested. How did you become interested in Atlantis? Well, that's pretty simple. I mean, as a small child, I was sure there was an island in the Atlantic Ocean called Atlantis. I can remember my mother finally getting out a map and showing me it's not there. But I never forgot it. I, I just knew. Always interested in prehistory, and I came to believe that earthquakes, floods, volcanic eruptions destroyed at least one advanced civilization in the past. And then, of course, I got more and more interested as I had time after my six kids to spend time like at the British Museum Library, and I came to realize that in Eastern Europe, scientists who focus on Atlantis are highly respected by their colleagues. It's even in Russian school books. I did a book talk in Phoenix. A man came up afterwards. He said, I'm from Poland, and we learned about Atlantis in school there. So, anyhow, it was easy. When we think of the word well, the, the the term Atlantic Ocean, I'm always wondering, why is it called Atlantic Ocean? Does it have anything to do with Atlantis being there, or was it named after Atlas, a character from Greek mythology who supported the heavens on his shoulders? Well, that's a good question, um, because I think there's certainly a correlation. Um, you know, Atlas was, he was definitely connected to Atlantis, so probably... I mean, Atlantic, Atlantic Ocean, why is it called that? Um, I'm not sure. When and where do you think Atlantis was? Well, Plato tells us it was outside the Straits of Gibraltar in the Atlantic Ocean. And uh, this puts it on pretty much the Atlantic Ridge. I believe that the Azores, Cape Verde Islands, Madeira, those are, were mountaintops at the time of Atlantis. And it started probably uh, before 200,000 B.C. We don't really know, but the Atlantic Ridge was uh, well above the surface, and uh, it's like a mountainous part of the ocean floor. But um, the, um, there's a lot of proof, though, too. I mean, they, they can uh, go down and bring up fresh cores of freshwater algae from inside where Atlantis was, from the Atlantic Ridge. And coral and so forth are all where once above the surface, area that was once above the surface. So anyhow, it gradually disappeared. It's the most active volcanic area in the world today, even under the ocean, the Atlantic Ridge is constant volcanic eruptions. And Iceland is the only part of that area left of the Atlantic Ridge that's above the surface, really. And you know how they have terrible uh, earthquakes and volcanic eruptions there. Mm -hmm. So it slowly disappeared. Uh, Plato refers to as an island chain, um, as a large island, sorry, with with a chain of small islands that connected it to the continent beyond. And it's really interesting that back in 350 BC, Plato knew about the American continent. Atlantic, but mostly the Atlanteans, they settled all around the Atlantic Ocean. And um, by 20,000 B.C., they have a thriving community on the Bahama Bank in the area of Bimini, Andros, uh, Cuba. All that was, um, at that time, during the Ice Age, 
the ocean waters were 350 feet lower than they are today. This is why they find these ruins of megalithic stones that are under the water now. But during the Ice Age, that period of time was above the surface because the uh, water of the oceans was incorporated in the snow and ice of the glaciers. And then about the when, well, it gradually disintegrated. And by 10,000 B.C., that was the final sinking of Atlantis. And things happened um, to the whole Earth at that time. Um, It was sort of the end of the Ice Age and so forth. When we hear of Egyptian history, we mostly learned it from the Greeks. Same with Atlantis and Plato. Where do you think Plato's information came from? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, When his good friend Socrates died, he left Italy for a long period of time, and he traveled. Uh, He may have gone to the Library of Alexandria. He spent, we knew no, he spent pretty much time. Oh, he he went to Egypt. He paid for the trip with edible oils. That's all I know about that one. But he's searching. He's looking. He's heard this story as a child, and he's just wondering about it. So he spent uh, time in southern Italy with a group of uh, people who perhaps they had been students or students of Pythagoras, and they were very interested in what had what the world had been and so on and so forth and i think he learned a lot there but he didn't he didn't write about it right away he didn't write about it until just i think 2 or 3 years before he died and my theory about that is that it is a theory they say that some of these secret organizations uh if you reveal the information that they have then your life is in danger they really guard it uh, carefully. I mean, back in 350 B.C., anyhow. So I think that um, was another source besides what he says uh, from his, oh, was it like a great-great-uncle who had gone to Egypt and read it on, um, like, pillars and so forth there, which was a common way. They also have, um, in, I saw in Egypt a lot of the, hieroglyphics on the walls of the temples and things, which I'm sure must talk about the history. That's a good question. I haven't been asked that before. I like that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you mentioned the Library of Alexandria. Do you think the Library of Alexandria was lost, fully lost, or was the knowledge sequestered by a few? Maybe, just maybe, people like, say, Christopher Columbus may have had ancient maps that helped them find the quote-unquote new world. Oh, he did, yeah. And he had a, was it his father or father-in-law who was a ship captain? And they passed these lines down, maps. They, the maps were kept in um, countries where it was a dry climate. What happened was that when the library was being destroyed in Alexandria, some of the kings of North Africa uh, they realized the value of some of the stuff, and they they went and got it and kept it, and they kept it for hundreds of years. And it, some of it turned up in Spain when the um, Moors were there uh, for what 800 years or something, long period of time, and they brought some information with them. Um, so I think that's certainly this was one source of. And also it was a source of knowledge about Atlantis. Uh, there was a man named Michael Scott. He was a Scotsman 
who in the 13th century went to Spain and read some of the things that had come uh, that they had, the, the um, people from Africa had brought with them and learned a little bit about Atlantis and them. Years ago, Shirley, I met a, I don't mean to deviate from the matter at hand, but I think this is all interesting. And at the end, it all connects. I met a university professor here at the University of Arizona about 15 years ago. And she told me in private, on the side, she said to me, Mel, Christopher Columbus was not Italian. He was a Sephardic Jew from Catalonia. And during the Inquisition times, he had to pretend he was Italian in order to get funding for the discovery of America. Have you heard mm -hmm. that story before? No, but I mean, I knew he wasn't what he said. He didn't come from where he said he came from. I thought he had come maybe from Italy. I'm not sure. Um, but anyhow, no, that's, that's a good story that makes sense to me. But um, he wasn't the first person to travel like that. Really? No, the uh, Chinese and the, the Vikings and other civilizations too, weren't they? Sure, there were a lot of, lot who went there. Some, some. It was hard for people to get out of the Mediterranean, um, but Spain they could. I mean, I guess was, somebody was guarding the straits there. When you say it was tough for them to get out, was it because of the? The psychology of belief that if you leave, you're going to be falling from the precipice of the flat earth, or was it something else? Well, I, I think, do you really think back in, in the 15th century, they really thought the earth was flat? Maybe. Some people did, but there were also, you can go back thousands of years, and some of the, some of the learned scholars knew better. Uh but I don't know. I think that was something perhaps that was like to scare people from going out and finding treasures that might be there. I don't know. Right, right. And with ground-penetrating satellite technology that we have available today, wouldn't it be not easy but easier to determine if these two continents, Atlantis and Lemuria, were there? Um, ground-penetrating radar... We, you know, they're wonderful. Uh, there was a, a Russian, his last name is Zirov, who was like um, an ocean geologist. I don't know whatever you call him, but he w became thoroughly convinced that that area was above the surface, the Atlantic Ridge. And his book is just wonderfully full of details and explanations. And you look at the Azores Islands, they were the mountaintops. And uh, they go straight down to the ocean. I was there, and there weren't any beaches or so forth because this, you know, there's like the tops of the mountains. There's one island that's totally, obviously, an old volcano, Pico. Um, but I'm not sure where, if I'm wandering from your question or not. No, that's oh. fine. That's yeah, fine. Well, uh, I think of the Yonaguni pyramids in, in Japan. You know, I'm surprised that people like uh, Dr. Robert Schock, he says that that's just a natural, natural formation. But, you know, I've seen people like Graham Hancock and his wife dive and take, you know, f plenty of footage to show that those are man-made. What's your You're take right. on it? 
Oh, definitely. Well, I don't know is that much about those specific ones, and I've, I've seen the pictures of the divers, and it's very convincing. But there's another one. It's called, if you, if you can have your listeners go to www.templeofmu.com, and that shows off the coast of Okinawa, underwater ruins, with people, you can, and there's a, someone swimming in there. He's not swimming; he's scuba diving, or he's something snorkeling. But um, there, and the ruins off the coast of India. I mean, those are definitely were a city. It's five miles long, and all these things were, of course, above the surface. It's not that far down. So, uh, I don't know what how this all got started, but there's no doubt that in the Pacific, it's pretty easy to find underwater ruins. It's not so true in the Atlantic where it has a lot of shifting sands. And, of course, I mentioned the lava. They can test the lava that comes from uh, the Atlantic Ridge, and they can tell when it erupted above the surface, you know, that's now covering covering things, land down there, uh, by, the wall, by the air in it. And it's pretty much like there was the top layer erupted in 10,000 B.C., about... I'm on the website, templeofmoo.com. My goodness, this is just impressive. What do you think? That is incredible. The the, the divers have their instruments there and they're measuring and they have, you know, perfect 90-degree angles between the steps. What do you think this was? You mean was it? It was a temple? Or? No, obviously it was a temple. It was a civilization that lived there in the area. But who? Yeah. Who were they? The Lemurians. The Lemurians. So this I mean, was part of Lemuria. Well, sure. Anything in the Pacific. Um, the, Lemuria was. Um, it was an island civilization. It wasn't just one big, large mass. And uh, it spread all over the Pacific. And they they were also seafaring like the Italian, like the Atlanteans. I mean, they really, you know, they're very knowledgeable sailors. But they held it together with an excellent system of government. And, um, I mean, now something like Easter Island is totally isolated. Yeah. Well, they can show where there was other land not that far from it. Um. So where were we? Atlant- you were, we got into about Lemuria was in the Pacific Ocean, and uh, there are many many legends around the Pacific about it. In Hawaii, the the natives told the missionaries that Lemuria extended from Easter Island to Hawaii and was about three thousand miles wide. Well, who knows? I mean, it was but um, that one thing that. I'm so amazed at are the megalithic ruins on islands in the Pacific. And the latest one that they're getting all excited about is called Gobekli Tepe. Do you know anything about Turkey. that? Turkey, absolutely. Gobekli Tepe, yes. Yeah, and that's that's pretty exciting. I Supposedly think. the oldest one ever found. Yeah, yeah. And they're just starting to get to realize there's maybe there's things underneath it even. They don't know, but it's, yeah, that's, we're, that's going way back. Why is it that current history, his hyphen story, why is it that before 10,000 years ago, it's almost as if there's information gap. We don't know anything be, be, beyond that, but we have Gobekli Tepe, we have some other ruins around the world that 
predate that. Even some artifacts that have been found lately that were obviously man-made that are millions of years old. Why is it that we can't see beyond that and, and, and academia doesn't want to go there? Well, academia doesn't want to go there because if they don't go along with that there. Thank you for listening. To unlock the full two-hour interview, including video formats, downloads, transcripts, exclusive articles, and more, subscribe to Veritas Plus now. Gain access to our entire archive dating back to 2008. Just click subscribe at veritasradio.com. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know. Subscribe now. To listen to the rest and all of our exclusive material, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or join the Veritas Plus family by subscribing. Click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for focused life force energy. Get a 15-day free trial today with no credit card required. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button on our website at veritasradio.com. Now, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or subscribe to listen to the rest of the interview. You don't want to miss it because you don't want to believe. You want to know. What are you waiting for? Subscribe now at veritasradio.com.